You've arrived at the Talent Destination, a podcast dedicated to the art of building a company your team will love. If you hang around and listen, you'll experience what it's like to work at Refine Labs and learn effective strategies to create the conditions for people to do the best work of their lives. Now to this episode. I am your co-host, Megan Bowen, and joined with my fellow amazing co-host, Jessica Williams. And this is the vulnerability episode. Today, we're going to talk about psychological safety, and we're going to hit a lot of different dimensions, not only what it is, but what it's not, how leaders can create psychological safety, the repercussions for not making this a priority and how it can impact your company. And we want to also talk a little bit and share from our experiences about psychological safety gone well and when it can go off the rails. And so this is going to be a great episode. How are you doing today, Jessica? Excited to dig into this topic with you. Yes, this is one of my favorite topics. I think everybody that knows me knows that I talk about psychological safety a little bit too much. So I am well prepared for this conversation. (laughs) And I think we should start by defining our terms. This is something that you've actually taught me when we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion at the company. But it's always important to make sure that before we get into all of the details that we're all speaking the same language and talking about the same things. And so you have a great like classic definition and you articulate it so well. So I'm going to pass this to you in a minute to share. But I know when it comes down for me, I think a key element of what psychological safety is, is creating the conditions where feel where people feel like they can show up as their true self and they feel like they can make mistakes and fail and that there are no negative repercussions for that. So those are two really important parts It's broader than that. There's a lot of dimensions to psychological safety, but those are some of the two that always come top of mind for me. But you're the definitely the expert on this topic. And so (laughs) break it down for us and kind of give us the the breakdown of what psychological safety is. Yeah, a lot of people when they hear this word, they think about, oh, you just have to be nice to everyone. And that is so not it. When I think of this word, I think of you will not be targeted, you will not have any retribution, you will not feel outed if you speak the truth. Whatever that truth might mean to you, the ability to speak up to say if you're uncomfortable or if you or if you are comfortable with something, to to be able to say it to your leader, your peers and know that there will be no negative repercussions for you speaking up and telling the truth. And I think the biggest part of that statement is telling the truth. It does not mean that you can say whatever you want to whoever you want. That's not psychological safety, but the ability to tell your truth and to know that you can fail. And if you fail forward, that people will pick you up. Absolutely. And I think you've said this before about how diversity is really a key component of this. Can you elaborate on that and speak a little bit more about what that means to you? Yeah. So for our listeners, I am a Black woman. And so I say that because I think you can't talk about psychological safety and not talk about how it feels for professionals of color. So for example, I have gone throughout my career where I was always the only person that looked like me in the room. So not only, you know, am I the only person in the room that might be a Black female it's like, okay, well, how are you then going to make me feel safe on top of that? So on top of everything else that might be going on, how are you making me feel like it's okay for me to speak up 
knowing that I am already feeling like the one and only, you know, I'm already the one and only person you can visibly see that I am different than everyone else. So I think there's a different layer that sometimes people miss and they just think like, oh, we just want every, it's just like happy go lucky and rainbows. But there's a layer to diversity that you have to include for psychological safety. And if you don't, you're missing a big part of it. You mentioned around it's not about being nice. I think psychological safety is also, I think, not about making everybody feel super comfortable and happy all the time. It's being willing to engage in difficult or uncomfortable dialogue or respectful disagreement or sharing a vulnerability that is relevant and important to disclose in a particular context, right? And so I think and we're going to get into this later, but I think one reason why a lot of companies aren't good at this or aren't sure about how to go about it is because it does require you to confront challenging topics and to uh, have difficult conversations with people. But I've I've found and I've, I firmly believe that being able to navigate difficult topics with someone effectively and and get to a productive conclusion is how most relationships are actually strengthened. And how complex problems in businesses get solved, right? There's a factor of being uncomfortable. One of my favorite quotes says that comfort and growth do not coexist. So you cannot have both at the same time. So if you want to grow, you're going to be uncomfortable. And that's just a part of the game. And I think that is a big part of psychological safety is the ability to be uncomfortable. Absolutely. So... Before we move on to why it's a challenge for companies to implement this effectively, let's kind of make a few statements of what is not psychological safety. So you kind of already said it's not about being nice. I think also it's important to not lose sight of holding people accountable to what they're there to do and and their job. What are some other things that you would call out as, you know, clearly being not psychological safety? I think when a lot of people think psychological safety, they equal that to like political correctness. Like you have to say all the right things to the right people in the right tone in the right place. And that's, that's not true. So it's not, and I equate that with what I said before about being nice. Like, are you being too politically correct where you're trying to almost like shape shift? Like you're trying to be whoever anyone needs you to be in that moment. That's not psychological safety. I also think when you dig a little bit deeper to your point about holding people accountable, you still have performance standards. So you still have to talk to people about their performance in a workplace. You know, it's not just that you can behave any way that you want to and no one's going to say anything to you. So there are still standards, but it's the ability to speak up. Absolutely. And I think you know, I've read a lot of interesting articles about like the dark side of empathy or the dark side of emotional intelligence, where if you use those, what are typically strengths, but if you use them in a negative way, it can, you know, either be perceived or be outright manipulation, right? And so it's not using vulnerability in an exploitive way or in, in a manipulative way. And so it's it's important, I think, to be really honest with yourself about what your intentions are in how you're disclosing things or interacting. And I think the other, you know, the other piece of it is like, respectful debate or disagreement can be really effective, but you also want to make sure that as you are doing that, you're doing so very respectfully. I always, I hate the example of like, well, I'm just being honest. So if I, you know, being honest and being a jerk, like it doesn't justify that, right? And so I think it's ensuring that 
I personally think, and the reason I kind of why I'm going down this direction, why it's so hard for people is because there is a really important balance when you talk about these types of things and going too far in one way or too far in the other way is dangerous. And I think the people that do this really effectively are able to balance all of the components of this in the right way. Easier said than done. Yeah. Those people that say, well, I'm just being honest. That is not a, um, correction for being disrespectful. So that's what I say to that. Like, you know, just because you're being honest doesn't mean that you can be disrespectful. And I think that sometimes people take it that far. And then if they're corrected, they say, well, now I don't feel safe to speak up or, okay, well, I'm never going to speak up again. That's also manipulation. (laughs) Exactly. Cool. We've sort of defined this, what it is, what it isn't. Let's talk about why this is a challenge for companies to implement. We're going to talk about tactics in a minute of of how people can do this and give people some really actionable advice that they can take away. But I think it's really important that before we get into the tactics of how to do it, I think one of the first barriers is really understanding the challenges of why people don't, because you have to be mindful of those and be able to overcome them before you're actually at a point to start implementing some of the tactics. And I think that, you know, we've talked about this through a few different lenses. And I think, you know, mindset, priorities, and again, bringing up DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, there's like, those are three important factors that go into this. And I think, so for me, when I say mindset, it very specifically refers to people have to have the right mindset and the right values for this to be a genuine priority at the company. And you hear me say this phrase a lot, people's success is customer success is company success. Unfortunately, there are a lot of companies that, you know, reverse the their mindset is the opposite, that the company is the most important thing than the customers and then the people. And so I think it's flipping the script on how you're going to prioritize business decisions in the best interest of your team so that they'll have the positive impact on your customers and the company. And I think if you don't view building your company in that lens, I don't think you will be very effective at creating a genuinely psychologically safe environment. Because if you're coming at it and your true belief is that your company is more important than your team, then it's going to be insincere and that your your actions are not actually going to match up even if you say the right things with respect to this topic. So that is crucial. And so I think if that's step one, if you're not in that mindset and the leaders of the company do not believe that, then it doesn't matter if you you know, listen to the tactics that we say, it's not going to actually work. Yeah, it's performative. So that's what I would consider that like employees can sniff that out in a heartbeat. It's performative. And it's very much um, I'm going to talk the talk, but I'm not going to walk the walk. So if you're telling people or if it's on the website, or you're, you bring it up in a meeting, but then at the end of the day, people still fear that if they speak up, that something negative is going to happen, then it's all for, you're just doing it for show. And people are going to know that. And then, you know, priorities, because, you know, let's face it, in business, we all have a ton of priorities. We have a lot of goals. Just doing our day-to-day job can take up 100% of our attention and effort, right? And I think people need to acknowledge that this doesn't just happen overnight, that this is the result of an intentional effort by multiple layers of leadership at the company for this to actually work. And you need to prioritize it at the executive level, at every level of the company. And, you know, like earlier this year, we we spent time with all 
people leaders, you know, from top to bottom of the organization to educate and train them on this topic, right? That's like one example of how our actions are mirroring that this is a a priority for us. And so it, it goes along with the mindset point. We also, you know, have talked about how not truly understanding the lens of of DEI and and not actually creating a diverse environment is also table stakes for this. Um, would love to have you chime in and speak a little bit more on that from your perspective. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a funny story about that one. So uh, at a previous organization, I'd say there are maybe maybe five people like professionals of color, and I say that because this gives you context. So. We would be in meetings and one of our core values was around innovation. So it was like, you know, you're supposed to be innovative. You're supposed to be curious. But if you were too innovative or if you put too many things forward that they didn't pan out, you were definitely, it was going to be marked on your performance review. And everyone knew this. And so it, it became like an under, undercurrent of fear that nobody really wanted to throw their ideas out because they knew that if, if your idea didn't go all the way through, so if it didn't, you know, hit the customers or do it do what you needed to do, then it was going to show up in your performance with you. And so how can you have both? How can you have a place where it's like innovations on the wall, but no one's willing to actually be innovative because they don't want to fail. And so it became one of those things. And I think it was really apparent with the professionals of color because they were basically like, oh, I'm never saying anything. Like it was like the under, you know, we, I, I specifically remember having conversations with people where they're like, I'm, I'm, I have an idea, but I'm not saying it because what if it doesn't work out? So it's, it's that culture of fear that if you speak up or, and you're missing, I think companies that do that, you're missing so much brilliance because people have ideas. They have, you know, process improvements, project management, things that you could be doing for your clients, but they don't want to say anything because if it doesn't work out, what's going to happen to them? I think that's such a great anecdote to illustrate this point. And I think that the way that I think about this is diversity is table stakes for psychological safety because it has a huge impact on people's comfort level and and how they're showing up and their comfort level in expressing themselves and trying new things, right? When they see that there's lots of different types of people around them that think differently, that everyone has a seat at the table, it bolsters it. And so I think I actually think both diversity and psychological safety, if both prioritized and done well, they actually have a compounding positive impact on each other over time if you're nurturing and prioritizing both, right? Um, Because it influences, they influence one another. And I think I would say the opposite of the experience I just talked about was has been my experience at Refine Lab. So I specifically remember having a conversation with Triana, who is another Black woman, when I first started here. And she's like, oh, no, you can say whatever you want and like speak up. And I thought, oh, wow, this is different. You know, like, and that's just like two women of color speaking to each other and saying like, no, you can really do that here and it's going to be okay. So even that experience, which was, you know, in the scheme of things was just like a five minute conversation, but it set the tone of what I felt like I could actually say and do here. So it made me feel like one, that I was seen. And then two, that I was safe to tell the truth and that I was safe that if I, if something, if one of my ideas doesn't work out, I'm not going to be quote unquote in trouble for it. And okay. So you guys know, I have a lot of ideas and you know, they don't <laughs> yes, always work out. Yeah, I, was like, <laughs> I have a whole document of ideas. They don't always work out. But I have them and like people are open to looking at it. So, yeah. 
Absolutely. No, I love uh, every time I see that you've slacked me, I'm like 50-50, this is a new idea. (laughs) (laughs) Or it's like an important update that I need to get back to her on. Awesome. Let's get into tactics. And so you were actually the mastermind behind our internal training session, which was so well received by our team. And and this is literally one tactic that people should be thinking about is putting together actual training, right? And you can do it internally. Um, we're actually planning to bring in an amazing expert, Dr. Akila Kadeh at our offsite next week, which I'm super excited about just to talk about diversity. Um, and I'm sure this will be a component of her keynote as well. But you really summarize I think some really great tactics that people can adopt when they are ready to make this a priority and, you know, want to create this type of environment. And so I want you to break those down for us. Give us like your top tips of how to create psychological safety. I think the first one is definitely the golden rule. So we've all heard it. Treat people how you would want to be treated. That's not exactly true. Not everybody wants to be treated like you. So I'll, I'll give myself an example. I'm like the biggest cheerleader extrovert you can meet. I want to know what's going on, all of those things. I like to receive feedback very directly, like just tell me what's going on, say it to me, let's go. And if I were to do that to some of my teammates, they it would make them emotional. You know, like they just are not that type of way. So it's as a leader, you really have to find out what is it your team needs, not necessarily what you would need if you were them. And I think that that is a missed gap for a lot of leaders. You think like, oh, well, I would want to receive feedback this way, or I would think it was fine to call someone out in a meeting or even calling on people in a meeting. You, you know, some people are, that makes them very uncomfortable. So they won't feel safe to tell you the truth. They would prefer like a one-on-one meeting. So kind of flexing your leadership style to your team is very important. So actually the golden rule, like throw it out of the window, like treat people how they actually want to be treated. And a way to do that is to actually just ask them. So when someone starts on my team, I ask them, how do you want to receive feedback? Do you prefer if I'm giving you praise, would you like me to do that in front of the team? Or would you prefer that just be between me and you? And that just sets the tone of like what's going on. And Megan and I had this conversation when I started. I'm like, no, praise me in front of everybody. You know, (laughs) (laughs) I want everybody to know. But everyone's not that way. So the golden rule, I think, is an important one. Creativity. Do people have a process or procedure or way that they can be creative and say things for innovation purposes. So for us, for example, if you have an idea about the way that we're doing marketing or even the way that we're doing people ops, we have so many feedback mechanisms. We ask for feedback. I've actually never worked somewhere that asked for so much feedback, but we use it, you know, (laughs) so we actually use it. So we don't ask you questions and then months later say, oh, by the way, these are the things we did. Within weeks, you will know you gave us feedback and this is what we're going to do about it. So feedback is a huge factor. And Megan, I want to shout out to you because I know you believe in not having anonymous feedback. And actually when I started, that was different, but it has helped us because then we can follow up with people. So I think from a psychological standpoint, people feel safe to tell us the truth and then we can follow up with them and make it better. So do you want to give insight into how did you even think of that? Because that was very new to me when I started at Refine Labs. And it's funny because we've actually adapted as we've grown and we've created both anonymous and non-anonymous forms of feedback. What I found in a, especially in an early stage environment, if you're around, you know, 50 to 75 people, the company is still relatively small and most everyone knows each other. And at that point, I found it was effective and it was well received here. I was at a, a prior company where 
all feedback was anonymous and there was zero feedback that was tied back to individuals. And what it created was a culture of complaining because there was no accountability. People felt they could say anything that they want because nothing would be tied back to them. So you got all of this negative feedback. It created a sense of focusing on the problems without being solution focused in identifying areas that need improvement, right? Like we've done a great job here, but we have so many things that we need to fix and improve. And then with all the negative, there was so much negative noise that you didn't have any insight in what actually really needed attention. So not only did it create the sense of negativity, but it actually didn't give you any tangible inputs to make the changes that needed to be made. And so when I got all of that feedback and we had that, I said, I'd like to redo this and I'd like to tell people that we are going to record their name and their feedback will not be anonymous. And so we redid it. Obviously, we saw a dramatic drop in like the breadth of complaining, but we actually then were able to get to the root of the problem. And then for those that felt brave enough to share, I was able to have follow-up conversations and better understand what the issues were and involve them in the solution process. In hindsight, I realized that the culture wasn't safe. And so the anonymity was the only way to get any real feedback. And so part of the process that I went through there was trying to shift that culture. And certainly, like, the first time I did that non-anonymously wasn't as effective as, as it became over time. And so when I came to Refine Labs and Chris and I were building this from the beginning, I, I, was, I was something like, from the beginning, I want to set the expectation that you can tell me all the bad things you want and there will be no repercussions. And But we're going to get to the heart of what it is and fix it. And you actually, I'll credit you because you kind of pushed back on me a little bit as we were scaling. And you're like, I really like this idea and it has worked well for us, but I don't know if we can have that hard line 100% of the time, right? I think we need to start to have different avenues for feedback. Um, and so we do have some anonymous forums now, but then you and I have had those moments where we're like, ah, oh, who said this? And like, we want more information because we don't really know what we can do to fix it, right? So there are pros and cons to both. But I do think a blended approach, especially around 100 people plus is probably what is really necessary. But that's the background of why, why I feel so strongly about that. <laughs> I completely understand. And that goes into my next recommendation is about healthy conflict. So can people actually disagree in a healthy, respectful way and not, you know, be in quote unquote trouble for it? And so on my team, I encourage, I strongly encourage my team to disagree with me. If there's something that I said or a direction that we're going in, I'm a listener. I will always listen. I'm not saying I'm going to change my mind, but I will listen to you. I want to understand maybe you see it from a different point of view or it's going to impact you in a different way that I didn't think about. So that's a huge part of it is can someone speak up and have a healthy debate? How do you have you seen that before, Megan? And like, how has that worked with you? Absolutely. And so I think that there's a few components to that, because I think leaders are certainly obligated to create the conditions where people do feel that they can disagree. So there's a few things that I think about there. Number one is if a leader starts a meeting and shares exactly what they think, it actually will limit, I think, people willing to bring up a different idea. And so I think one thing that I always think about is how can I maybe bring up a problem and maybe hold back 
my initial instinct on a solution and sort of create space for people to offer up their thoughts first. And I think that is a tactic to get people to share ideas that may be different from your own. I think the other thing is how you respond to an idea that you might disagree with. And if you respond in a way that makes people feel you're shutting them down, that you're dismissing them, that's going to make them less likely to bring up an idea in the future, right? So I think like in this case, leaders should almost go last. I think that you should be really self-aware of your verbal and nonverbal cues when ideas come up. And then I think what I try to do is when an idea comes up that is not something that I would have immediately thought I try to better understand it. And I think this was this is one of your other tactics that you'll probably hit on next, which is around curiosity and seeking to understand. So I think that's critical. Like, ask questions. So instead of just saying, no, your idea is bad and this is why, say, why do you think that? Or what is the problem that you're solving? Or is this coming from an experience that you had where you did this before and it was successful, right? So I think those are some things that I think about to set the right example and to create the conditions for people to feel comfortable sharing new or different ideas. I think curiosity is a huge one. I always tell my team, like whenever someone comes up with something and say, even if I agree with them, I always want to know how they got to that conclusion because it might be different than how I ended up getting there. And so I have this thing where I say, let's double tap that. So let's double tap and let's like dive a little bit deeper into what you're saying and like how. I always want to know the why behind the what. So how did you get to this place? And so that way they're talking me through it, you know. Definitely. So I want to get into the concept of vulnerability at work because I think this is an area where psychological safety can sometimes be misused, misinterpreted. We were talking, I was talking about the dark side of emotional intelligence and manipulation. And honestly, I haven't been perfect at this. Like, I think I've certainly had moments in my career where maybe I have um, overshared or I've let my emotions get the best of me. Uh, my intent was coming from a a good place, but my impact was not what I expected and maybe negative, right? So the, I think it... People, I think, sometimes feel intimidated because they aren't sure how to be vulnerable. So they just avoid it and don't do it because they don't want to make a mistake, right? And so what I first want to talk about are what are healthy ways to leverage vulnerability at work? And I would say my go-to for sure, like I think I have two go-tos for this that I feel like are appropriate and can be effective. So one is sharing from my experience where I have made a mistake, right? And what I've learned. And that does a few things. Number one, it makes people see, oh, it's okay to make a mistake, right? And someone, a leader is talking about that mistake and what they learned from it. And then number two, it can also hopefully for some people, give them an opportunity to to prevent themselves from making that same mistake, right? Learning from others' experience. And so that can be really powerful. I think the other thing that I try to do is take responsibility and accountability for things. Stuff goes wrong at every company. Like things don't work out as you planned, you know, despite your best efforts, you know, people at the company can be unhappy, customers can be unhappy, especially as you're growing. That's just life, right? Nothing can go good 100% of the time. And so I find that if you take accountability and responsibility for problems and express a commitment to fix them that people get to a level of understanding and are maybe able to let go 
of some of the negativity or the frustration that can build up when you're going through growing pains or when things are, you know, not going as planned. So those are a couple of ways that I've tried to leverage being vulnerable from my perspective. How about you? What are some things that you've done? Or I don't know if you have examples of inappropriate ways that you want to share because I want to get to that next too. Yeah, absolutely. So I agree with everything you said. For me, um, I definitely admit mistakes very, very quickly. And another thing that I started to do is during one-on-one conversations, I will go into those conversations with a mindset of like, maybe this is where I could have done something differently. So I recently had a new employee where she said, you know, my onboarding could have gone a little different. And it sparked something in me to say, okay, let me see what I could have done differently. And so I actually gave her a list of things that I could have done differently as her, as her leader to help her feel onboarded. And she said, this would have never happened anywhere else. Like the look on her face when I, t- like I had a whole list that I then emailed her and said, these are things that I could have done differently. And for the next person, I will do this differently because of the feedback that you gave me. And so just being super transparent, like I didn't do everything right and it's okay. And this is what, for the next person, it will be better. So even that level of transparency is hard because I think that goes against my personal need for perfection. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) For those that don't know me, I am a type A perfectionist. So to make a list and give it to one of my employees and say, this is where I messed up was a big deal. And I think that is probably the most recent, like big vulnerability step to not only admit it, to write it down, to send it to you, and then for us to talk about it. (laughs) I love that. I think that went a long, long way. But yeah, there are some people that go away and decide that vulnerability is basically, I'm going to tell you everything personal about me. And, you know, and I've been in those situations where I've been like really uncomfortable with what someone is telling me and they think that they're being vulnerable, but really it's like a level of just being uncomfortable. Yeah. It's like almost like an over, an overshare, right? Yeah. That's how it feels. It's like, what are you, I, it's information that's not actually not needed. (laughs) You know, like it's not adding to the conversation or it's not helping the person get to know you in a professional sense. It's just an overshare. Yeah. And it's hard. It's like, what's the line? Because, you know, sharing things like having self-doubt or even like, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm not myself today. I didn't sleep well. I'm having a bad day. I'm dealing with a health issue or some personal things. Like I actually think saying those things are totally fine, right? And so I think I've definitely made mistakes here where maybe I felt a little too close to a coworker and was really in a bad spot and, you know, kind of gave a little too much information about some of the challenges that I was facing personally and kind of picking up like, oh, maybe I said too much, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So like, I think it's like, these things are also recoverable, right? But I think like, I don't know if it's super clear if there's like a a clear line of what is exactly appropriate and not. But I think and yeah, I think those are some things I think the other ways that I've seen, especially with people on the team that might be going through a hard time performance wise is sometimes they will try to justify a lack of accountability with what's going on in their life. And I think there's a way to provide context of like, you know what, I did mess up there and I'll be transparent with you. I'm going through a hard time. And I think that that impacted my ability to meet your expectations. So I think it's appropriate to share in that regard. But I think when I've seen it gone wrong is when people use it too often as an excuse. And they put their manager in a tough position where they are uh, justifying. And 
one mistake is very different from ongoing patterns of behavior, right? And that's what I'm really talking about. I do think one mistake, two mistakes, one-off things, we all have those bad days and providing that context, I think is totally appropriate. I think where it becomes inappropriate is where it becomes a pattern of behavior and it becomes a justification for not showing up in the best way, right? So I don't know, it's a tough balance. And but I kind of I don't know, I wanted to to touch on this a little bit. I don't know if you have anything else to add before we, we tackle our, our final topic. <laughs> I have this funny story. And I say it's funny, because it, it was me. So don't do this. Okay, this is a cautionary tale. So very beginning of my career uh, in HR, I had to terminate someone. And Megan, I think you've heard this story before. But I was so nervous that I started crying. And he was consoling me. So the employee that was being fired was like, it's okay, Jessica, I didn't even want to work here. And I am bawling my eyes out. Just like, I'm so sorry. Like that is, okay, don't do that. That is not vulnerability. That is unprofessional. Okay. This is the beginning of my career, but I was just so upset by him being terminated. And I really liked this employee, but there were some things that happened where he couldn't stay, but he literally was like, it's fine. Like he was consoling me and I was like terminating him. So you know, don't do that. That level of vulnerability is not needed. It makes everybody uncomfortable. So I don't cry in terminations anymore, if you were wondering. (laughs) Yeah. Well, no, and it speaks to, especially in a leadership position, the reality is, is it is difficult and you can have a ton of emotions, right? But you really need to regulate them and not let your personal emotions override what's in the best interest of the person that you're talking, whether it's in the context of a termination, a performance review, like there could be so many different examples, right? And it's hard. It's a skill that you have to hone and you have to practice, right? And like, yeah, I have my own own set of stories of things like that too. <laughs> so the last topic, and then I'm gonna, I'll have, I'll have like a quick fire question to kind of wrap us up. But I think a lot of companies dismiss the importance of prioritizing, creating a psychologically safe environment. And I think people don't appreciate the, like, what's at stake? If you don't prioritize this, I mean, people aren't going to stay at your company. You're going to have a lack of trust. You spoke earlier about how it can create the conditions for innovation and creativity and risk-taking. Like, the reality is, is any high-performing company has to have a strong foundation of trust. Employee turnover is incredibly expensive. And every business wants to innovate and to take appropriate risks and to be creative, right? And so I wish more people would understand the consequences of not prioritizing this and not hand wave that this is something fluffy or nice to have. In my opinion, this is table stakes and necessary. 100% necessary. And to your point, people will leave. And as we know right now with the great reshuffling or whatever you want to call it, if people don't feel valued or they don't trust their leadership or they don't feel safe, they can find another job and turnover is going to cost you twofold to replace them. So I think that's the biggest thing to understand is that If you don't do this, your team will leave. And I will take it up a level and say, specifically, your professionals of color will leave. And I know a lot of companies, you know, are doing what they need to do around DE&I, but that that will be the next step. Totally agree. So takeaway for people that have hung with us to the end, if you had to recommend one immediate next step that they could take, that a a company leader could take, 
to create the conditions for psychological safety, what is the one thing that comes to mind that's most important? Training. And I say training because I feel like that's where you can get to the foundation. Because if you don't have psychological safety right now, if you started a training program with the leadership team, because as we know, most people leave their leader, they don't leave the business. That's a great place to start. So even if you did middle management, I don't even mean start at the very top. Don't start at the C-suite. Start at middle management where people, those are the people who need it most. I love that. And so I'm going to come at it from a different angle. And so I'm going to say that for any leader that is serious about making this a priority, they need to make a commitment to themselves to engage in either like executive professional coaching and or therapy. In my own experience, it has been something that I have prioritized over the course of my professional career because I know that I need to show up as my best self. And I have learned so much about self-awareness and emotional intelligence and psychology and how to interact with other people through my coaching sessions and my own therapy sessions. And so I think if a leader is really committed to creating this, they need to make sure that they are showing up well. And the reality is, is you often need more than the skills that you have on your own. And having a trusted, safe, private space where you can explore these things, learn these skills, show up for yourself so you can show up for your team is critical. And if you're not sure what to do, a seasoned executive coach that has experience on this topic can also tactile, like, guide you very tactically on what to do as well. I agree. All right. Um, Well, this was fun. Um, I'm glad we got to dive into this topic. We covered a lot of different angles, but really appreciate you sharing all of your ideas, your tactics and strategies and all of the stories from your experience. But until next time, and as we like to say, right, don't build, uh, don't just build a company, build a talent destiny. Build a talent destination. I love it. (laughs) Side effects of listening to this podcast include, but are not limited to, increased employee engagement, retention of high potential employees, and becoming a badass in the people, talent, or operations space. If you're looking for a new role, Refine Labs would love to hear from you. Go to refinelabs.com slash careers for more insight into amazing opportunities at our fully distributed workforce.